0: Hello, Ashley Poseen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries Podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. I am so ready to get back into the word. We had to leave off rather abruptly last week as we were talking about the life of the woman um, known as Bathsheba. We have been spending time, if you're just tuning in for the first time this week, we are going through women of the Bible. We are looking at the lessons God is teaching us through the lives of these women that we find in the word of God. We want to learn from them. We want to take in the powerful message God is teaching us through his word. Cause want to tell you, my heart for us is that we would be a faithful people who apply the principles of God's word to our lives. We left off last week discussing what happens when we don't do that. David, King David was called to read the word of God every single day so that he would not turn away from God and chase after the pleasures of sin. And yet we know that he failed to do that in this instance. When we left off last week, we were talking about the the very reasons why this situation was so incredibly flawed from the beginning. We recount that David was not where he was supposed to be. Remember at this time, kings led their people into battle in the spring, yet David chose to stay home. We know that secondly, he was not doing what God called him to do. God had mandated that the king would carry around with him the word of God and that he would read it every day. We remember from Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18 that he was to carry this scroll with him and read it daily as long as he lives, so that he will learn to fear the Lord as God, that he would obey all the terms written in the scriptures. This regular reading, Deuteronomy tells us, would prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he was above his fellow citizens. It would prevent him from turning away from God's commands, even in the smallest of ways. And it would ensure that his descendants would reign for many generations in Israel. Now, David, of course, on this day, we know he has failed to do that. He's not where he was supposed to be. He's not doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he is giving himself over to his temptation. He is beginning that progression of sin. If anybody is familiar with what we call the seven steps of sin, you see David take part in each one of those steps right now. I would encourage you to look at James uh, chapter 1, 14 through 15 to get an idea of that. But this progression of sin has started. David, of course, brings Bathsheba. He sleeps with her, um, and he... Uh, without knowing it, uh, gets her pregnant. And so now she finds out she's pregnant and she sends a message to David, letting him know that that is the case. Now we talked last week, a lot about the people who surrounded Bathsheba, the people of incredible character who were valiant and loyal. Now, David, knowing he is caught, if you continue reading the rest of the story, which I encourage you to do in 2 Samuel, um, found in chapter 11, if you continue reading the story, what you find out is that David, panicking because he now uh, is caught in his sin, Bathsheba is pregnant and Uriah is off fighting David's own battle for him. So there's no way Uriah is the father while he is away. David concocts this plan. He makes this plan to cover up his sin. And so he sends word to his captain, Joab. And he says, bring Uriah, send Uriah back to me. And so Uriah is sent back to David. And David tells him, you know, he asks him how the war is progressing. He, you know, Uriah, don't forget, is one of David's closest uh, uh, mighty men. He's numbered with the 37 mighty men along with Bathsheba's father. And so David sends a gift to Uriah after he leaves the palace. He tells him, go home, relax, be with your wife. Of course, what he's wanting is him to sleep with Bathsheba. So that her pregnancy can uh, be seen as Uriah and her pregnancy. And so he's trying to entice Uriah to go home, sleep with your wife. He wants him to cover up his sin. But what he finds out in verse 9 is that Uriah doesn't go home. He sleeps that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. And when David hears that, he's frustrated. He summons Uriah back to him and he goes, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Listen to Uriah's response in verse 11. He said, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. Now, don't forget the ark was the very presence of God. And he says, the presence of God, the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I would never do such a thing. So David is like, okay, well, you know, tomorrow you can return to the army. Stay again here tonight. He tries to get David drunk enough. If you continue on with the story, he tries to get David uh, drunk enough for him, for Uriah to go home and sleep with Bathsheba, but the next morning he finds out the same thing. Uriah would not do that. He would not go home. He cared too much about God and his king's uh, warriors and the army that was off fighting the battle, and so now David goes to even greater lengths, and he now devises a plan to get Uriah killed, and so if you remember, and I encourage you to read on in the story, I'll just paraphrase it. David writes another letter to Joab, and he tells, um, in it he tells him to station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest. And then when, when the battle is amping up to its most intense, pull back so that Uriah is left there by himself and that he will be killed. So Joab, probably having no idea why in the world David would want this, maybe even thinking Uriah had betrayed David somehow, he does what his king has commanded. And when the enemy soldiers come out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. Do we see this? David's sin did not only hurt one life or two lives. It destroyed many lives as he tried to cover it up. So Joab sends the report back to David. He lets him know exactly what happened, tells him that Uriah was killed, And of course, listen to how David responds in verse 25 of of, um, chapter 11. He says, well, tell Joab not to be discouraged. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Just fight harder next time and conquer the city. He is so unrepentant, uncaring of his sin. He is just happy right now that he believes he will not be found out. But now as we pick up again in the life of Bathsheba, I want you to think about this. Verse 26, it says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Now, I want you to pay attention to that word, because in the Hebrew, that word means she was wailing in agony. She was in deep grief over the loss of her husband. This was just, this was not just perfunctory uh, grieving. She was mourning. She was wailing in deep agony and grief over the death of her husband. And when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her again, had her brought to the palace, and she became one of his wives. And she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. That's where I want to pause for a second. You see, David's big mistake here was the abuse of the power God had given him. He almost fell into that once before, but Abigail, an amazing woman of God, stopped him once. She became one of his wives as well. But this time he gave in to the temptation and the progression of sin, and he abused the power God had given him. He disobeyed and disregarded every command God had given him. He did not go out with his armies. He was not where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what God had called him to do. He was not reading the word of God and obeying it. And it says the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And here's where I want to pause in talking about Bathsheba. Oftentimes when we think of her, many people will count her as one who seduced David, who somehow it was her fault for bathing. I want to remind you, she was out there bathing because ritually she had to, spiritually she had to cleanse herself after her time of her menstrual cycle. So she was doing this. And I want to tell you something else. You get this great clue right here by God saying the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And you're going to see the entire punishment falls on David. And there's a reason for that. God held David responsible. Now, many people might think, well, you know, at this time, in this time um, of history, God would not punish the woman. He's going to punish the man. He's going to hold the man responsible as head as head of their homes. But I want to remind you of Miriam, which we studied earlier on. When Miriam and Aaron complained against Moses, rebelled against Moses, God did not hold Aaron responsible. He held Miriam responsible. And she and she alone was punished for that sin. God is a just God and he will take care and deal with his people justly. So I don't want you to think that just because Bathsheba was a woman, God would not have held her responsible because he's already proven that he will hold them responsible. But in this instance, he held David responsible and David alone responsible. And you're going to see that play out. Because as David thinks that his sin was covered up perfectly, God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David. And you remember from Second Samuel 12, starting in verse 1, the story that God has Nathan share with King David. He, he tells him that there was two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned many Uh, a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb. It grew up with his children. It ate from his, his own plate. It drank from his own cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. But one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, and instead of him killing an animal from his own large flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guest." Now, David was furious when he heard this story. As verse five tells us, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And Nathan said to him, David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, David, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and you stole his only wife. "'From this time on, your family will live by the sword "'because you have despised me "'by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. "'Because you have done this, "'I will cause your own household to rebel against you. "'I will give your wives to another man "'before your very eyes, "'and he will go to bed with them in public view.' You did this in secret, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. You see, he lamed the blame at David's feet. He said, you despised the word of the Lord and you did this horrible deed. And from what you read in Deuteronomy chapter 17, you know that is exactly what David did. He despised, he disobeyed the word God had given to him as king. He took on more wives when the word of God clearly said, as a king, you may not take many wives. He was not reading the word of God daily so that he would hide it in his heart so he would not sin against God. He was not remembering what God had called him to do. He was not where he was supposed to be. He was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he gave himself over to his own temptation and began the progression of sin. And it destroyed many, many lives. That was this flawed situation, these flawed people. But I want to tell you something. Our sin will always have consequences, and those consequences will always affect more people than just you. We learn from chapter 12 um, exactly what Numbers 32, 23 is telling us. Be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us, be be sure that your sin, um, or it says, for God will bring every act into judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Even Luke 12, 2 tells us, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed. There's nothing hidden that will not be known. And this is where you're going to see David become a man after God's own heart. Here he is fully exposed, his sin fully known. And I want to tell you how David responds. David repented wholeheartedly. In fact, in verse 13 of chapter 12, it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And in Psalm 51, if you have not read it, I'll encourage you to read it. Psalm 51 was David's plea for forgiveness and cleansing. It was his plea with God to forgive him for what he did in committing adultery with Bathsheba. David immediately launches into this psalm. He writes the psalm and he says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I am a sinner. He recognizes his flaws. He recognizes the sin that has separated him from his God, that has brought down these consequences. And he confesses to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And I want you to understand something. This is how he was a man after God's own heart, chasing after God's heart. He recognized his sin and he repented immediately. He begged God for forgiveness. And this is what I want us to know. Though we are flawed, we are forgiven. Because our God forgives, and he forgives fully, completely, to the nth degree. I want to tell you this. The consequences are still there, but the forgiveness of God will restore us fully. Nathan tells David, yes, the Lord has forgiven you, David, and you will not die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And we know as the story goes on, Bathsheba, of course, gives birth to their son, her only son at this point. And David falls on his face on the ground. He won't eat. He won't sleep for seven days. He is begging God to spare the life of his child as God allows a sickness to overtake this child. He is praying day and night without ceasing. And on the seventh day, the child goes home to be with the Lord. God takes him. And at this moment, David gets up, he bathes, he cleanses himself, and he goes straight to the tabernacle to worship God. And he tells his people, um, his servants and the household that were so confused by this, he said, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said to myself, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. And so at this point, David goes in and it says he comforted his wife Bathsheba. So I want us to remember this woman now. This entire um, heinous part of her life has just taken place. All of this evil has come upon her and and she's um, been forced to witness the death of her husband and now the death of her son. Can you imagine what is going on in her mind? The great sadness, the grief, the guilt that is plaguing her. And David now goes in with her and she allows him to comfort her. Just it, it amazes me how God is at work in Bathsheba's life. David sleeps with her again, scripture tells us, and she, begin, she becomes pregnant and she, be, and she gives birth to a son and David names him Solomon. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Solomon means the peace of God. The Lord loved this child, and he sent word through Nathan the prophet that they should call his name Jedediah. Remember, oftentimes um, in the Jewish uh, tradition, they would be given a couple different names throughout their life. So King Solomon was known as Solomon. He was also known as Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. And David did as the Lord had commanded. And I want us to pay attention to this fact. This is how God forgives us so fully, so completely, Bathsheba had to, to um, learn to forgive, be forgiven. Both of these people were flawed. But I want to tell you something. They were also forgiven by God in a way that so fully restored them, not only to each other, but to God himself. And he, said, and he does this, he shows us this by blessing them with their son Solomon, which means peace, calling him Jedediah, which means the love of God. I want you to listen to what 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's why Acts three nineteen tells us repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Here's what I want us to understand. When God forgives us, he forgives us fully. So we might start out, we might be flawed people, but God comes in and if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He wipes out our sins and he allows times of refreshing to come. Because here's the amazing thing to me. We are not just forgiven. We are favored. Listen to what God does in David and Bathsheba's life. Not only did he forgive them fully, but he restored his favor upon them. He restored his peace. He restored the love that was there between them and God and God in them. And now we're going to see his unmerited favor, his grace poured out on Bathsheba. She becomes the queen mother to the most notorious king of all of Israel. Solomon would be the king of Israel's height of his glory. Under his reign, the children of Israel would for the first time hold possession of the entire promised land. It's such a neat thing to me. It's so cool. She, God allows Bathsheba to become the queen mother of Israel's height and glory. Never before, never again would there be a king as strong and powerful and wise and wealthy as King Solomon. And she got to be queen mother. I want to tell you a little bit more about Bathsheba um, in a little bit that speaks to her character. She then has a third son after Solomon. And guess what she names this third son? She names him Nathan after the prophet Nathan, who had exposed the sin between David and Bathsheba. It already did to me when I hear that, I go, oh, my goodness, This speaks to how much they valued Nathan, how much their lives turned around and was transformed under the forgiveness and the favor of God. She names her third son, Nathan. And at this point, as we carry on in her story, at a certain point, David is going to become old and frail, and it's going to be time for a new king to step into the throne. Now, God has already declared it was to be Solomon. David has made that known. Bathsheba became his favorite wife. He had pronounced Solomon to be king, and yet one of David's other sons wanted the throne. And so he creates a plan to usurp the throne, and Bathsheba and Solomon are in grave danger. The prophet Nathan finds out about this. And who does he go to? He doesn't go to David. He goes straight to Bathsheba. It is to her that he trusts this information. He knows that she is a woman who is valiant. I'm telling you something. The people that raised her that were a part of her life were valiant warriors, faithful, loyal. I believe Bathsheba was no different. You see her become a very valiant woman and mother as she goes to protect her son and protect the throne and who God had declared would be on that throne. And it is because of Bathsheba that the throne for Solomon is secured. And that is an entire other story you should read. It's incredible. But as you read on, that's the woman Bathsheba is, and she secures the the throne for her son. Now, as you go on to read about this life, I love this. You'll find it in 1 Kings in this story, chapter 2, verse 19. I encourage you to go there. Bathsheba needs to go. Her son Solomon takes the throne. She needs to go to him and talk to him. And at a time when most people were not allowed to come before the king unless he invited them, Bathsheba goes right into the throne of Solomon and listen to what it says. Solomon um, saw his mother come in. The king rose from his throne to meet her and he bowed down before her. When he sat down on his throne again, the king ordered that a throne be brought in for his mother and placed at his right side so she could sit in a place of honor. And he tells her, You know, mother, what is it? You know that whatever it is you want, I will not refuse you. This is the love between a son and his mother. Again, it speaks to the heart and character of Bathsheba. This son loved his mom, he honored her in a way I have not known in another king to honor their mother, but she was that honored. I love the probability that Proverbs 31 was written by Bathsheba to King Solomon. And in it, she describes to him the woman he needs to look for, a woman of impeccable character, a virtuous woman. Do you know the word virtuous means valiant? Think about who she was. If in fact, she wrote that Proverbs, I think it is so precious that she would describe to her son, you must find a valiant woman because her beauty is her worth is so much more valuable than rubies and diamonds. She goes on to say charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord should be greatly praised. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. I love that. I love the probability that she wrote that to her son after seeing the downfall of David and the wives that he chose and in what he chose to do romantically. She says, you find yourself a valiant woman who fears God because she should be praised going on and moving forward like i told you god does not just forgive us he favors us he pours out his unmerited favor in his grace Bathsheba became of course in the lineage of jesus christ god used her to bring out bring about his savior and i want to tell you something we like her are flawed people by our own choices by the choices of others and even though god does not bless sin which he does not do he blesses sinners who come to him in repentance Do you know what the word grace means? It means unmerited favor. He offers the flawed forgiveness, but he goes a giant leap past that in that he pours out on us his favor. You see, it wasn't just enough that we are forgiven. We have his favor. I love it It says, for it is by his favor that you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. You see, Romans 6:14 tells us sin shall no longer be our master because you are not under the law of sin, but you are under his undeserved favor. I want to tell you something about our God that's amazing to me. All of us who are flawed, God is in the habit of not just saving us, but elevating us. We're not barely saved. We are wonderfully, powerfully, and eternally saved. This is how God is with all of his sons and daughters. He doesn't just tolerate you. He crowns you. You are no longer clothed with a prison garb, but you are clothed with robes of righteousness. In all of this way, we are members of the royal family. And I want you to know something today. You may be a flawed person, but under the grace and mercy of God, you are forgiven and you are favored. He gives beauty for ashes, strength for fear, gladness for mourning, and peace for despair. He does not just save you. He elevates you. And I pray that today you will recognize when you confess your sins before God, you are no longer flawed. You are forgiven and you are favored. Amen.